Hi, everyone. This is Jeffrey Smith, Institute for Responsible Technology, and I am so excited to introduce you to the book and the author. The book, The Monsanto Papers, the author, standing, sitting next to me, Carrie Gillum. Welcome, Carrie. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, you have done an amazing job turning one of the most dramatic and pivotal moments in the anti-Monsanto, you know, nail them to the wall saga that I've been part of for 25 years. You have done an amazing job on the Monsanto papers and the Monsanto trial, writing a book that people can't put down. And while they're absorbing a Grisham-like novel, they're getting the truth about Monsanto that people like me have been trying to get out for years. Thank you for writing the book. Thank you. Thanks for those kind words. I, I am intending and hoping that the book will have a wide audience and appeal to general readers, um, people who maybe don't don't have a, a taste for very heavy science books. Um, so this one is designed to be a legal thriller, designed to take you through kind of a wild ride behind the scenes of a major court case. So I would like to suggest for people who would like to buy the book, and I strongly recommend that you buy the book, um, go to the link uh, on, the on the page here, and it goes to, uh, we, we rarely take on books to, to sell at this point, but we totally invited, we, we bought some books to make available to you, and we're bundling it with DVDs too. So you'll see that there's three DVDs about Monsanto as an encouragement to have you read the book, because we really want you to read the book. And the thing is, I want to encourage, before we go into the details of the book, and, I, and we're going to go into some pretty shocking stuff, I would like to suggest that you purchase the book for a number of reasons. One, you get to read it yourself. Two, you get to pass it around. Three, you get to support authors who take the time to expose Monsanto, and that's what Carrie has done, investing years to get this information and lots and lots of months writing it. And then also, if you get the DVD, you can pass that around, etc. So it's kind of like uh, supporting the cause and getting a book out of it at the same time. So this is the book that you'll get, Monsanto Papers. There, I've done my big pitch, and now let's do, let's do the interview. Okay. So, Carrie, can you set us up here? Um, because the the whole book sets us up. The whole book is a story, and uh, I'll let you lead us in. Sure. So the book is is the story of one man. Uh, Lee Johnson, and you know the story of his life working as a school groundskeeper and a father to two young boys, and a married married man uh, living a middle income lifestyle. And Lee, you know, was really loving his job. He had a hard time growing up. Uh, he grew up without his own father really in his life, and often with an absent mother. He struggled in school. Uh, and he really had found himself, though, um, and felt a real degree of success by the time he was in his 40s. And, you know, this school groundskeeper job required him to get dirty, he would say, um, you know, trapping rodents and spraying pesticides and in particular spraying Monsanto's Roundup and Ranger Pro herbicides around school grounds. 
and he always took great care to wear protective gear um, and to really try to minimize his exposure but he didn't worry too much because he knew that they had uh, he had always been told that these products from Monsanto were so safe uh, you really didn't have to worry about it and you follow him through a day at work where he has this really sort of unusual incident where a tank sprayer breaks breaks off the hose breaks off and there's a large amount of this pesticide that sprays out into the air and he has to try to sort of jump on the tank and and uh, close it off and clean up the mess and he gets this um, very large exposure to these herbicides uh, roundup and ranger pro and you know not too long after that he starts to find these you know odd things happening on his skin and over time, it develops into cancer. Um, he continues spraying. He, he tries to call Monsanto to say, hey, should I be worried about this? Should I stop doing my job? Uh, Monsanto never really responds with him, doesn't give him any information. And he keeps spraying, and he eventually his cancer um, just spreads like wildfire across his body. And he's told eventually he has about 18 months left to live. So you follow that story and then his struggle not only to fight cancer, but his struggle to hold accountable the company that he blames for his cancer, which is Monsanto. And you, know, you meet his attorneys and all the, the ups and downs and, and backroom sort of strategizing that goes on in trying to take Monsanto to court uh, for the first time over these allegations that, that Roundup causes cancer. And you know, really, as I was reporting it, um, I knew I had to write a book about it because the things that went on behind the scenes, the twists and the turns, um, the crazy plot uh, things that happened, you know, it just, I, I kept thinking it has to be a movie, but I, I can't make a movie, but I can write a book. So, uh, so that's what I did. And I do hope that people enjoy it, learn something along the way, but also just enjoy the story. So there's so many ways into this. First of all, I have to say that the trial was a bombshell. It was enormous. It, it was like we've been working so hard to try and alert the world to the dangers of Roundup, and we can't get it through the congressional side. We can't get it through the executive branch. But the legal side turns out to be the hole in one. And when the jury awarded Lee Johnson, why don't you just say how much they awarded? <laughs> I just, I just want to say it. I want to say it. But go ahead. It was, he, he was awarded $289 million um, in a unanimous jury verdict, and $250 million was impunitive damages because the jury was so outraged um, by what they saw as evidence of misconduct on Monsanto's part. So it wasn't only the scientific evidence and the research showing a cancer connection uh, between Roundup glyphosate-based herbicides and non-Hodgkin lymphoma, but it was decades of deceptive tactics by this company to hide those risks and to actively you know, pressure and influence regulators uh, so that they would not have to warn uh, consumers like Lee about, about the risk of, of this product. And the jurors were outraged. Oh yeah, this, to me, this was an extraordinary opportunity to open the real life of Monsanto, what we have been seeing through little cracks in the doors um, because of a very dramatic choice made by Brent Wisner to make uh, uh, documents available to the public. And he told me that he was thinking he was going to lose his 
legal license when he had to face the judge and the wrath of the judge. I mean, it gets, it is intense, some of these scenes. Um, that actually gave absolute raw evidence, unmistakable, unmistakable evidence of people knowing the truth, lying about it, reversing their scientific, I mean, really bad actors. And this is one of the aspects of your book that I love. See, I like the story because, first of all, Lee is an amazing man. I mean, you spent hours and hours and hours with him. I only had dinner with him and spent some time in the, in the courtroom. And he, he is such a lovable, soft, wonderful human being. And that comes across in your writing. So you're loving this person. And now you're outraged at what Monsanto is doing to him. And then you get to watch what happens to Monsanto as the information gets out. It's brilliant. Pick up what you would say is one of the most shocking or egregious actions of Monsanto that was brought out in the Monsanto papers, the documents that were made public because of the lawsuit. You know, there were really so many. I mean, I think what shocked the jury, you know, I talked to jury members as well, and you heard it from the judge uh, as well, actually multiple judges who have been involved in this litigation now. Uh, the evidence of the ghostwriting of the research, and this is part of the scene that you talk about uh, when Brent Wisner is called up on the carpet by the judge because he has uh, released these papers, these documents, um, and you know, Monsanto had tried to prevent that release. Mon Monsanto had tried to keep these documents sealed. And the judge is saying, how can you, to Monsanto's attorneys, how can you say that these documents about ghostwriting are not relevant to this case, <laughs> that they should stay sealed? You're talking about ghostwriting research about the cancer evidence tied to your products. And, and you're saying that that shouldn't be uh, part of the case, you know, you're crazy. And the judge is really taking Monsanto to task. Um, and, you know, all of that is, is shown in the book. People do really um, find that part of the book, I guess, the most, or one of the most exciting or interesting parts, because you're able to see how Brent and the other lawyers are trying to unseal these documents and trying to make them public because they feel like the public has the right to know the dangers that they're facing. And Brent in particular did not want um, the world to have to wait for a trial. You know, he said, people are using these products every single day. They deserve to know, um, you know, today. And the regulators should know and policymakers should know. Um, and that's why he pushed so hard for these documents to be released. And but what he had to go through you know, the, the hoops, and he, he basically really had to lay a trap, if you would, um, to, and hope that Monsanto attorneys would trip their way into this trap, and then he would be able to release the documents. So it was a very dramatic turning point in the case, and, uh, you know, Brent Wisner and uh, some of the other attorneys really did put their, you know, reputation and career, if you will, on the line uh, to do this. Um, so, you know, that was a very important part of the book and, uh, you know, 12.01 a.m. just after midnight when these documents were, were released. Uh, and they did change the course, I think, of history as well as of the case. Oh, no doubt about it. I remember Brent, I was in the green room with Brent getting, going on to the doctor's TV show. We did a whole, did a whole hour on glyphosate uh, and, the, and the, the trial. And he told me the story and it was, it was really gutsy of this guy. And the thing is, I didn't know him at all. 
And then he he was on the show with me and they put on the screen on a Skype an epidemiologist who was trying to soft pedal. And Brent was not to be intimidated. He just said, you're wrong. And he just explained the science to the scientist and blew away, blew away his objections or his concerns. He was so confident and so powerful. It was as if nature organized for this man to be the person of, to take down Monsanto. And I think that it seemed like that from some of the circumstances that occurred, because he wasn't originally supposed to try it. Right, exactly. I mean, and that's one of the most dramatic parts, I think, too. Um, you know, Brent Wisner of the Bomb Headland Law Firm in Los Angeles uh, was not the firm representing Lee Johnson. Uh, Lee Johnson was represented by the Miller firm out of Virginia and had been from the outset. But without giving away too much of the plot twist in the book, um, shortly before trial, they like to say on the eve of trial, just a couple of weeks out, Mike Miller the, the lead founding attorney uh, who was going to, you know, be the lead trial attorney in, in Lee's trial, suffered a near fatal accident, um, just just a crazy uh, accident that put him in the hospital, almost killed him, and, and certainly he could not then try the case. And then a backup attorney who'd been working with Lee for the Miller firm suffered his own uh, fateful event that uh, knocked him out of the running of leading the case. And so that's when uh, Miller Firm brought in Brent Wisner from Bomb Headland and asked him to partner with one of their lawyers, Dave Dickens, to really, you know, handle this case. And so Brent came in at the last minute and, uh, you know, yeah, he was very instrumental in winning the day for sure for Lee. I, I've interviewed Brent for hours and his stories were so rich. And whenever I went to his office or whenever I went to the courtroom or you were always there. You were always there and like, like you were just embedded, <laughs> embedded in the team because you were reporting out and at, at some point they knew you were writing a book and you had incredible access to the details. I just got like a little bit of an overview and was awed at the drama, awed at the, in, and, and like there are, there are stand up and shout moments throughout this um, whole saga of, of how we, overcame their obstacles and they kept trying and we overcame and then the 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 final jury um an award and then there's more i mean we can even report on what happened last week in terms of this um which we will in just a moment um but i was always so excited to see that you were going deeper and deeper and that i was i was looking forward to this book for a long time because <laughs> i was watching you in the back room working on it and you know like before i had the interview or after they have the interview there you were you know compiling data go you had eighty thousand court documents to sift through and yeah. i i mean you did an amazing job to pick the ones that kept us on the edge of our seat and kept us informed well thank you yeah i did i did do a deep dive here and you know i spent a lot of time and traveled around the United States and went to different meetings um, so that I was there, you know, the fly on the wall, so to speak, um, when the lawyers were getting together and strategizing um, or meeting with other firms. Uh, I relied very heavily on transcripts and documents. I spent time, as you said, with Lee Johnson, quite a lot of time with Lee uh, and his wife and his family um, and in his home and, and talked with the jurors. I, I just knew, you know, I've been covering, obviously, Jeff, you and I have known each other 
20 some years, you know, I'd been covering Roundup and glyphosate in Monsanto since the 1990s. So um, when the when the litigation began, uh, you know, when I very first met Brent Wisner in early 2016, you know, I knew a lot more than Brent did um, about glyphosate. I'm not even sure he pronounced it correctly back then. Um, <laughs> no one gets you know, it right. <laughs> but right, you know, but uh, he's a brilliant mind, as are the other attorneys who were involved, and they, you know, got up to speed and and were able to pull this case together to hold Monsanto accountable for this. But I knew that this story had to be told in a way that could resonate, as I said earlier, with the general population. It's too important a story. And it is bigger than one company and one man suffering from cancer and one chemical, because this is illustrative of what you see time and time again with other companies and other chemicals and other people who are suffering from cancers or disease or reproductive harms that we know are associated, our science, our research, you know, many of our government researchers, independent researchers show us and have, have built up the evidence to make it very clear the harm that we're suffering from these environmental contaminants. Um, and if we don't get a handle on that and rein that in and hold these companies accountable who are pushing these products, you know, we are facing or we're giving our children to face a very dark, an unhappy uh, and unhealthy future. So this book, again, is is one man, one company, but I'm hoping that it gives a broader message overall. And what is the latest news which just appeared um, in relationship to this particular trial? Well, to the Johnson case, uh, Bayer, which bought Monsanto, um, they bought Monsanto in June of 2018 is when they closed, right as the Johnson trial was getting underway, which was incredibly unfortunate for Bayer. Um, and they saw their stock value, uh, their market cap drop precipitously when the ver jury verdict came down on August 10th of 2018. Um, but they just now, that's been you know two, two and a half years, uh, just last week, or was it earlier this week, last week, uh, said that they would not take the final step and try to appeal their, their loss to the U.S. Supreme Court. So Lee's victory is, is intact. He has been paid. He only got a fraction of the $289 million because appeals courts reduced that amount. Uh, but he has been paid. His case is over now. But I wanted to know if he's received the money. That is so, like, like last week. Well, no, he actually is <laughs> sort of a technicality, I suppose. But they had to go and pay him, go ahead and pay him when they lost the last appeal that had been filed. Um, they could still take it to the Supreme Court, but they had to go ahead and, and, and pay him. And there was interest uh, that was accruing. You know, they were ordered to pay interest on, on this time frame. So they went ahead and paid Lee and said they were thrown in the towel in this case. But, you know, there there's still two other trial losses that they are appealing, and they've indicated they might try to take those all the way to the Supreme Court if possible. Now, the the juries are getting the details of the outrageous behavior of Monsanto, and they want to punish. And the last of the three ju uh, jury trials was a couple, and their punitive damage was $2 billion. Mm -hmm. Now, we all knew that the judge would take it down. We right. all knew that. Um, right. But I, the last time I saw Lee was the night of that victory out to dinner all the all the attorneys were there some of the activists were there and lee and his wife were there and i was sitting next to 
the, the couple that had just been awarded $2.05 billion. And I, and I said, so what's it like? And it's like, this is surreal. <laughs> it's surreal. Yeah. But it shows, I mean, why would a jury award a couple $2 billion? Because of the outrageous behavior. Because they, they like everyone listening, were wanting to take Monsanto to task. But they had the details. It wasn't just this fuzzy thing. And you have put those details into the book. Now, I have to admit something to you, Carrie. It, you, when I was, I wrote the book Seeds of Deception, which is also story-based. And then I was the only person writing about the health dangers of GMOs for many years. And it was a lot of work to be constantly writing. When you, you, you were writing for Reuters at the time and interviewing and going deep and Monsanto was trying to intimidate you and you just wouldn't have it. I mean, congratulations. And then when you started really pumping out these these uh, articles with US Right to Know and through uh, Guardian and all, I I was like, I don't have to do it anymore. There's a better <laughs> writer over there doing it. There's a better writer. She she's she's better than I can just focus on videos and whatnot. And then with this book, it's like, yep, this is the book that's gonna do it. It's story-based, you know. That's what happened to my book in 2003. It became the bestseller in the world on GMOs because it was story-based. It's like I want, I want your book to be a bestseller, not just a GMO bestseller or a round of bestseller, but a bestseller. I want it to do like awesomely because, and this is something I want to invite people to do, is to get the book as gifts. Because you already know, if you're listening to this by now, you already know about some, you already don't like Monsanto, let's be tactful, but you want to share this information in a way that people would appreciate the book like one of those legal uh, film thrillers. They'll love the book, but then they'll get on side and they'll not believe the biotech industry or its enforcement wing in Washington. And they'll be able to read about the relationship between Monsanto and the regulatory agencies. Is there something you want to shed light on there in terms of the influence? Well, sure. And, you know, that does come out in the book. Obviously, I've written about it. You know, um, people who followed the, these cases know about that, that a lot of uh, internal documents came out, text messages and emails and communications showing how close Monsanto was with certain officials within the Environmental Protection Agency um, and different things that they were doing with European regulators. You know, there are examples of uh, the the man inside the EPA who was in charge of looking at the cancer question with respect to glyphosate and Roundup. And you can see in their internal emails that Monsanto is referring to him as a friend and somebody that they can rely on for the defense of glyphosate. Um, and there are really interesting things that happened with him um, before he left the agency and uh, reportedly got a job working as a consultant for chemical industry. And, and there are emails that show Monsanto being very worried about a different federal agency It's um, part of Health and Human Services that wanted to do a toxicity review of glyphosate. And you see them discussing, we're worried, we're afraid that they're going to be like this international cancer agency and they're going to find a connection uh, between cancer and glyphosate. So we want to shut that down. And you see them going to the EPA and asking for help and the EPA leaping uh, quickly um, to help them and get that delayed, uh, that review. And so all of these, you know, 
these emails and memos and the revelations that came out in these papers and at trial are just so alarming because they show a federal agency not only not only the conduct of a company which you might expect you know to put profits over public health but a federal agency like the EPA whose job it is to protect public health and protect the environment um, and using our tax dollars and to see them leaping to help Monsanto to put a delay and try to block uh, a safety review, a toxicity review, it's, it's just mind boggling and it's frustrating and it's something that needs to change, um, certainly. Yeah, the I mean, I loved how blatant things were and how black and white, how clear the evidence was. I mean, my favorite example from the three trials is the is how they they wanted they were supposed to test the absorbability of Roundup on human skin. So they took cadaver skin, which is not uncommon, and you put it on the cadaver and then you see how much is absorbed. And it was 10%, which according to the cross-examination by Brent was 3.3 times the allowable level by the EPA. So that if they had reported what they had found, the Roundup would be illegal. It would not be allowed to be put onto the market. But they did a typical Monsanto thing. And I can tell you typically, I can tell you a lot of other stories, but we're focusing on this one because I was not aware of this. This came out completely new from the Monsanto papers right. that when they realized it was absorbed by 10%, they took new cadaver skin. And what did they do? Did you tell the story? <laughs> You'll have to, or they like, they did they freeze it or did they burn First it? First they baked it, then they froze it. Okay, right. Yeah, they did both, right. I yeah, mean, yeah. they they changed uh changed i mean that was an issue the dermal absorption rate was a real concern for monsanto you saw um, that come out in the documents as well yeah um, because of that and and that goes back to again sort of the messaging that the company was giving to consumers or groundskeepers like lee or other people you know the advertisements showing people out spraying roundup in flip-flops and shorts and you know no gloves or anything but internally, Monsanto was alarmed at the derm dermal absorption data and telling its own people in writing to be sure when applying these products that they wore, you know, full protective gear. Um, so it was one message inside and a completely different message to the people using the product. That became clear at the doctor's TV, where um, the first time I was on was not with Brent. It was debating Donna Farmer, who was the chief toxicologist at Monsanto, who was very schooled and had been practicing with their with their PR people and said, I'm very confident in this molecule, both as a scientist and as a mother, you know, at, at this chemical. So she was giving all sorts of confidence. Because of the Monsanto papers coming out, I searched under her name and found out that in private, she wasn't so confident. And I called up the producer and I said, I can show you that Donna Farmer lied on your show two years ago. And then when they saw it, they said, I think we're gonna do something. I said, how long do you think we're gonna get? She said, maybe three or four minutes. They gave an entire episode <laughs> because the story is so compelling. And that was before the trial happened. So you're, you actually, you waited to the right time. It's like, <laughs> it was just simply stunning. It, it really was. Um, I think the thing that, 
is frustrating though now for a lot of people and we talk about this in the epilogue of the book you know you talk about the Piliads, the the married couple that received two billion dollars um in an award both of them were stricken with non-hodgkin lymphoma you know they haven't received any money they're they're elderly people um uh the wife in particular you know has really suffered and struggled um you know and and they've been very sick and it's like a lot of other people it's great to be told you won, you know, and you're going to get a lot of money, but it really doesn't change their lives. It doesn't get rid of their suffering. It doesn't get rid of what they've lost. Um, a, a number of people that are plaintiffs in this litigation have died waiting for settlements, waiting for a trial date, perhaps. So, you know, there are over 100,000 people now in the U.S. who have claims against Monsanto Bear. Um, Bayer has now agreed to pay about $11 billion to try to settle the 100,000 claims or so. Um, but when it all comes down to it, and you take out the attorney's fees and you take out taxes and, and you pay back Medicare or other insurers, a lot of these people aren't going to see very much money at all. Um, and that's been really frustrating and hard for them to understand. Um, so that's sort of a bittersweet aspect, or maybe not even bittersweet, maybe just a frustratingly sad part of the story. Um, but it's the way, you know, mass tort works in this country. And it's really the only way that these companies get held accountable is through litigation like this. But I do think we need a better system uh, where people really are compensated and are able to get real justice when they suffer like this. I so agree. And I'll tell you one moving story with Lee. I mean, he hadn't been paid yet. Things were still under appeal. I was speaking with one of the attorneys from the trial at the Heirloom Expo in Santa Rosa, California. And um, I called up Lee's wife and I said, why don't you guys come up? So she texted me and said she's on her, her way. And I, we, the lawyer and I were talking to the whole group and telling the background. And then it was like getting close to the end. I said, they're just pulling in, just wait. So everyone just waited there. And he walked in and got this huge standing ovation. Yeah, yeah. He was, he, he was crying, I was crying. It was just- he is, He's really become engaged as much as he can, I think, in trying to be a voice um, of caution and warning and to try to move to get, you know, schools and school districts to stop spraying these chemicals. Um, you know, he's, he's a walking example of the ravages that cancer can do to a person because of course his cancer manifests on the skin, a type of non-Hodgkin lymphoma um, that shows up on his body. And he has literally lesions, tumors uh, all over, you know, head, torso, arms, legs, feet. It's just, it's, it's a brutal type of cancer that causes him a lot of pain. He went to Hawaii to testify, to try and change their laws. And I think he was successful. He's, I, I just feel like, Sometimes the whistleblowers in some cases, or in this case, the early plaintiffs, they're kind of designed to be the heroes for us all. And yeah. I feel like your book brings it out that he's, he's, uh, he's on his own heroic, he's on his own journey, and he ends up being a hero for us all. Yeah, yeah, he's, and a lot of people, you know, my editor tells me at the very end of the book, you know, she, she cried, um, and I've heard that from other people too. It's just so moving Lee's strength and courage, um, not only, you know, in battling Monsanto and going to court and going through the depositions. Oh my gosh, there's a scene 
Basim's chapter in the book where he's being deposed just after getting chemotherapy and he just isn't so much pain and the Monsanto lawyers are berating him for being late and you know it's just uh, it's crazy but he's uh, he's a very strong man he was supposed to be dead by now actually when I started writing the book I thought the last chapter would be his funeral uh, because all of the doctors predicted that he would die well before now and uh, you know he's just out there deciding he's not going to so um that's a pretty powerful message too about the strength of you know character and, and heart and soul i think you know marion nestle just wrote about your book saying it was she couldn't put it down and praised your excellent writing um i did mention that mine was a storybook but you're a better story writer because you're sitting down with the people and going into all the details you know i, I think it's great i'm going to recommend once again the monsanto papers you can go to the link to our seedsofdeception.com website and you can purchase the book, but for $4.95 more, basically the price of the additional shipping, we throw in three DVDs, all exposing Monsanto as sort of complementary to the book. There's the Your Milk on Drugs, Just Say No, which I created and I used a lot of the um, footage that was originally assembled for a Fox TV affiliate in Florida that Monsanto's threatens, threats, threatening letters stopped the four-part news series. And so they gave it to me. And you can see that when you get the bundle. There's the amazing uh, The World According to Monsanto by Marie-Monique Robin from France, award-winning, amazing, detailed. And then there's also Scientists Under Attack which gives some examples of how Monsanto attacks scientists who discover problems that don't agree with the false narrative that their products are safe. So those I'm throwing in just to get you to get this book. Okay, we're only charging the extra cost of shipping uh, for the $4.95 plus the, the cost of the book and you get the three DVDs. So uh, we're, we're doing our best to make your book a bestseller. Carrie, is there anything you want to add before we go? No, you're quite the salesman. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, the thing is, Carrie, it's like, um, I know that this is, you know, gifting material. It's the kind of thing you can share with people and they'll say, oh, my God, I had no idea. Or for people like me, you know, who are often trying to tell others our perspective and people kind of roll their eyes and say, I'm sure they're not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, Answer my question. Someone says to you, well, I'm, you know, they don't know the details. Well, I'm sure Monsanto's not that bad. I'm sure they didn't know, they wouldn't sell a product that they knew was a problem. What's your response to that? You know, what I say is I've covered a lot of companies in my day. Um, I've been a journalist for more than 30 years, covered very big companies and very big industries. And I've uh, had a lot of companies try to, you know, harass me, tell me how to write stories, pressure me to write stories in certain ways. I have never experienced the type of conduct uh, and harassment and seen the, the levels of the depths of deception um, ever other than the, than the company of Monsanto. Um, I think that they epitomize uh, wrongdoing in the corporate world. And uh, it's probably a good thing they've they are no more. They've been acquired by Bear, and maybe Bear will, you know, take a different tack. We still that remains to be seen, I think. But yeah, Monsanto, Monsanto did some pretty bad stuff. And I 
as an educator, advocate, activist combo, the combo pack, when I hear about things, my immediate impression is everyone needs to know this. Yeah. And that's what you've done. You've done it in a way which is not laborious, but actually very interesting, riveting, um, and, and exciting where you can cry for joy at the end. Great, great. Well, thank you. Thanks for doing this. All right. And uh, please go to seedsofdeception.com, get the book or the book DVD combo. And even if you don't have a DVD player, share the DVDs with someone you know. Hello. we got to get this word out. They're good DVDs. I think I have all of them, don't I? Yeah. I think you probably have more than that. All right. <laughs> bye, everyone. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Live Healthy, Be Well. Please subscribe to the podcast using whatever app you listen to podcasts with. Or go to livehealthybewell.com to subscribe. This podcast will inform you about health dangers, corporate and government corruption, and ways we can protect ourselves, our families, and our planet. I interview scientists, experts, authors, whistleblowers, and many people who have not shared their information with the world until now. Please share the podcast with your friends. It will enlighten and may even save lives. Safe eating.